0: This podcast is brought to you by GuestLogix, the leading global provider of ancillary focused merchandising, payment and business intelligence technology to the airline industry. To learn how GuestLogix can elevate your ancillary revenue potential, visit www.guestlogix.com. The airline gold rush continues, and here's a news flash, it's not just a US story. Last week, we talked about the great fortune of U.S. airlines. In fact, in Airline Weekly, we use the phrase freakishly high margins, which made me laugh because, well, in this business, that isn't something we get to say very often. It's been quite a run. Now, moving outside the U.S. to Europe and Asia, we expected good results simply because of low fuel prices and because the third quarter for a lot of airlines is the peak quarter. But even with that said, the numbers have been really strong. We're seeing profit margins outside the U.S. of 19%, 22%, 27%, even 30%. And that was even before Ryanair reported. I'm Jason Cottrell, vice president of Airline Weekly. I'm Seth Kaplan, managing partner here at Airline Weekly. We will tell you all about the airlines that achieved those profit margins just mentioned. We'll check in with IAG, Lufthansa, Air France KLM, Japan Airlines, All Nippon, and China's Big Three. Plus, we'll talk about some that didn't do as well, such as Aero Mexico and Jet Airways. A lot of airlines, a lot of earnings, a lot of ground to cover. Please do join us in the Airline Weekly Lounge. Thanks for stopping by. I've got a number of carriers to talk about, so let's get to it. Starting with IAG, the holding company of British Airways, Iberia, Fueling and Aer Lingus. IAG, like its counterparts, had a terrific quarter with a 19% operating margin. That's high. For perspective, Lufthansa came in at 13%, and Air France KLM hit 12%. IAG has a lot of things going right, and it's adding up to big gains. It is
1: part of it is just their exposure. You know, Right
0: now, the more exposed you are to the U.S., probably the better off you
1: are. And IAG, sure enough, uh, is simply more exposed to the U.S. Uh, than its its European counterparts, Lufthansa and, and, and Air France, KLM. Uh, th- that's particularly true now that Aer Lingus is a part of the company. That happened midway through the third quarter, so it hasn't even had the full benefit of, of that yet. But uh, you know, needless to say, that's that's a big part of their operation, and uh, they're doing very very well with it. Um, and uh, you know, they they started from a good place. Really, this is an airline that for for several years now ha- has been rather consistently uh, doing better than its peers. Iberia, you know, although not. The most profitable part, well, part of the company is the part of the company that, if anything, is responsible for more of the improvement than any other. I mean, this is this is an airline that was sick not long ago, and went through a uh, an incredible restructuring, a very painful restructuring for for uh, for a lot of its stakeholders, its employees, suppliers, and so forth. Uh, but now a very competitive cost base and, and uh, you know, an airline that's able to profitably operate some routes that, that other airlines can't simply because of that, uh, of that cost base. So uh, again, not yet the most profitable part of the company, but the one that really explains some of the improvements that IAG
0: as a whole has been making in recent years. Now, Lufthansa had a 13% operating margin, and that was a record for the third quarter. Did you find that surprising? 13 is good, but I thought a record would be higher. You know, I have to be honest,
1: uh, I actually went back and checked to make sure that was true because uh, if, when I was editing the issue the other day, uh, because we wrote that and, and you know, they said that and you know, there's no particular reason to doubt it. But uh, but yeah, uh, 13% is the best quarter ever. I, I went back in particular to look at 2010, which was for most airlines outside the U.S. sort of the golden year, uh, the year that many of them had their best profits ever. <laughs> Uh, It was a year when revenues were rather good, you know, the the global economy had recovered somewhat, uh, when you didn't have some of the disruptions that you had later elsewhere, the Arab Spring and so forth, uh, when fuel prices were still rather moderate, Uh, they they later climbed back up in the next few years before, of course, now being lower again. And, And so, yeah, that's sort of the starting point. Sure enough, uh, Lufthansa's third quarter of that phenomenal year was just 11 percent, as you mentioned, 13 percent this year. So, yeah, this is a company that, you know— it's really very much steady as she goes. That's kind of what you think of when you think of Lufthansa, a very, you know, sort of consistent product. And, and yeah, consistent profits over the years in general, uh, you know, an airline that's that's done well, uh, but never putting up uh, those eye-popping numbers that we've seen, for example, just in the past few years from the U.S. carriers. Of course, on the other hand, Lufthansa doesn't have the, the very troubled
0: uh, recent history that some of them have as well. We listed four main reasons Lufthansa is doing well. One of them was strengthen its premium products, first class, business class, premium economy. Yeah. And
1: uh, premium economy
0: seems to be working
1: really well for it. Uh, That's something where it was a a rather late adopter, which is something, by the way, that Lufthansa tends to be. It's it's rarely a a first mover, a a fairly conservative company in general. uh, No question, they're doing a lot of things now that you might not have once imagined them doing. But uh, yeah, certainly with the product, they kind of waited. Uh, It's something that by all appearances and accounts, it was working rather well for airlines around the world, including for Air France and for, for British Airways. Uh, and so they, they went ahead with it, and uh, it, it does seem to be going rather well. What's interesting there, too, Jason, is that, you know, sometimes you sort of pass a threshold where you get into a curve and, and something uh, starts working Sort of disproportionately well, uh, and, and with premium economy, that's something where uh, up until a few years ago, no matter how nice the product was, sometimes it was hard to sell just because people didn't necessarily know what it was, uh, because it didn't, for, it hadn't, for example, made its way into some of the corporate travel policies uh, because it was just kind of so inconsistent, and uh, uh, you know, companies had experienced you know, the employees maybe being okay with oh I don't know Virgin Atlantic's premium economy, but then not Okay with with some other product. So uh, so anyway, when it was when it was kind of unusual, it was hard to sell. But now that it's rather consistently offered on uh, a lot of the big long haul carriers around the world, uh, the notable exceptions being the uh, the big U.S. carriers, uh, and, and and you know it's becoming somewhat more consistent that people kind of know what to expect. I, I think it's kind of crossed the threshold to where uh, it, you know the fact that everybody's doing it kind of makes it better for everybody. In fact, uh, or or in other words, rather, you know, you would think that if you were maybe the only airline to have something, you might benefit. But in this case, I think once Lufthansa sort of joined the party and and, uh, at least parts of all the big European airline uh, companies have that,
0: uh, they're all the better for it. Moving on to Air France KLM and its 12 percent operating margin. Not bad. Uh, There's a lot going right at Air France and plenty that could be better. But what I want to know is whether this pretty good third quarter profit will jeopardize the labor concessions management is asking for. Well, it could, uh, and, and ditto by the way for Lufthansa, who, whose cabin crew
1: you know, has just said they're going to strike for a week. So yeah, that, that's uh, you know part of part of being an airline is uh, it's almost like you're you're never allowed to do too well because if you do, then uh, you know everybody who feels that they've been wronged in the past. Uh, you know, certainly, notably employees who, you know, in some cases, really have given up a lot. Uh, you know, feel like it's it's their turn to to take that back. Uh, in the case of uh, Air France's employees, uh, look, I mean, they haven't given up uh, as much as as a lot of employees elsewhere, but. Uh, but that's not how they see it. And, and that's really what matters when it comes to labor negotiations is, is how the person across the table uh, sees it. And you know, obviously, we also had those incidents uh, the, uh, over the past month of, of uh, executives literally having their shirts ripped off. Uh, so, yeah, uh, you know, we're trying to tell people that you need more for from them. And, and you've just reported a, a rather good quarter. That uh, doesn't make it any easier.
0: Moving to the Far East, let's check in on one of my favorite duopolies, Japan Airlines, otherwise known as JAL, and All Nippon Airways, otherwise known as ANA. This one was interesting to me because in Japan, you'd think the weakened yen would largely nullify the savings on fuel, and that would be the overwhelming story here, but it really wasn't that simple. ANA reported perfectly good profits, uh, 14% margin, but JAL reported a whopping 22% profit margin.
1: They did. Yeah. And to be clear, you know, it's not that the weak yen is not having any impact. Uh, you know, it is. Um, and, and even those rather good numbers that you just mentioned, uh, good compared to many airlines around the world, but uh, less of an improvement compared to the prior year than most other airlines around the world. And, and so, uh, you know, certainly those airlines are feeling it. It's just that they started from a rather good place. Uh, you know, the, the difference between them largely is one of a cost base. Um, uh, Japan Airlines, don't forget, was 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 bankrupt just a few years ago, went through a very, very deep restructuring it was really able to sort of reset the clock on cost as airlines in bankruptcy are often are able to do. And and so it still has has a big advantage in that respect. Uh, ANA has has its own advantages. You know, it it got the lion's share of of new slots that became available at Haneda Airport. Uh, It is uh, now has Skymark, uh, you know, the LCC in its fold. I mean, you called it a duopoly, which it it largely is. But, you know, you had this sort of Nettlesim independent competitor uh, Skymark, which used to do rather well, but then got too ambitious. Uh, ended up basically insolvent and rescued by a group of investors, including a uh, So, you know, that, that's that's good news for it. Although good news as well for, for JAL. I mean, we've seen this around the world that when you have consolidation, uh, you know, often it's not only the airlines involved in the consolidation that benefit. I mean, if anything, sometimes it's the other player who uh, you know, gets the benefit of not having to compete against uh, that independent airline, but without having to pay for it and, and to deal with the the integration headaches and so forth. And so JAL certainly happy to see Skymark no longer competing independently. As well, the the weak yen, uh, you know, certainly very unhelpful on costs. Uh, You know, when you're paying for fuel and aircraft essentially in dollars, uh, you know, you have inflation when you're trading in a weak local currency. Uh, But one benefit certainly is that inbound travel demand increases. And and Japan is getting a whole lot of demand uh, really from around the world because the countries become more affordable. And and in particular from China, um, because not only do you have the the currency benefits, but also just warming relations between the two countries, uh, which were kind of cool to each other uh, up until just a few years ago. And so uh, you put all together and and you have airlines that are doing respectively uh, well and very well for, for
0: ANA and for JAL. Airlines in China, meanwhile, had remarkably homogeneous earnings reports. Air China, China Eastern, and China Southern, what we call China's big three airlines, had operating margins of 19%, 19%, and 18%, respectively. We detailed the reports pretty well in the issue. In the interest of time, let me just ask a high-level question. China's economy is surely slowing, but it hasn't stopped the growth of its airlines, has it? It hasn't, uh, you know,
1: and, and so 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 far, uh, you know, clearly the airline industry has, has managed to absorb uh, the the slowdown. Uh, these airlines, by the way, don't um, put out a lot of detail after their quarterly reports, as opposed to their, their annual and and to a degree their half year reports. So, uh, you know, we'll learn more about this at some other time. Uh, you know, basically, well, a month or so into the new year, but. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, clearly they, they are they are doing rather well uh, in the face of the slowing economy in the face of high speed rail competition, you know, you know, which is which is an issue, certainly when it comes to uh, domestic competition. But yeah, I mean, you still have, have an economy that uh, despite the slowdown by its own standards is growing, uh, you know, people entering the middle class all the time. And, uh, and those airlines are, are, of course, well positioned to take advantage of it.
0: Our worldwide sprint continues. Moving on to Mexico, we talked about Valaris last week with a 21% profit margin. Aeromexico had a much different story, reporting a 9% margin last week. A bit of a disappointment, no? Yeah, uh,
1: you know— Certainly, again, relative to what goes on north of the border, although uh, very good compared to uh, what, what's going on much farther south in, in Latin America, uh, you know, there too, uh, you know, we talk about it so much, supply and demand, right? Uh, you know, Mexico, uh, I went back actually in, in DME and just looked at some, some capacity numbers and, um, you know, 2010 Mexicana stopped flying. Uh, and, and so that was this this just this huge boost to all the other players because you took out this one big airline and it really just altered the supply balance here, the same amount of demand for travel, but uh, but far fewer seats flying. So, of course, what happened, you know, fares were higher and, and, and the airlines were doing rather well. So anyway, uh, looking at the those capacity numbers, comparing. This year, 2015 to 2011, which was the first full year without Mexicana, uh, gosh, there are there are about forty percent more seats, uh, and also about forty percent more ASMs. Uh, departing Mexican airports now than there were just back in 2011 a lot of that coming from uh, the, the low cost carriers you mentioned Volaris obviously being one of them Interjet Viva Aerobus the other two big ones um and, and so you know that 40% i mean look this is an economy that yes has grown i mean it's growing slowly now, grew more quickly in recent years. But still, uh, the supply of seats and and capacity in the market has grown roughly twice as fast as the Mexican economy. And so whenever you have that happen always (laughs) everywhere in the world, uh, you're going to have declining yields. Um, and so, uh, in a place like that, that's where, you know, sure, um, you know, benefiting somewhat from falling fuel prices, although that even that's offset by the, the weaker local currency. Uh, and, and, and yeah, just, um, you know, if you're an airline like Aeromexico, uh, unfavorable supply and demand conditions whereas your your lower cost competitors uh you know largely the perpetrators of of the uh the capacity growth although Air Mexico too has grown uh you know obviously just better positions to deal with
0: a weak yield environment because their costs are so much lower and in india while the low-cost carrier indigo had a great quarter at 22 percent margin the legacy carrier jet airways had a paltry two percent margin is this just a more extreme version of the Mexico story?
1: Yeah, uh, you know, largely so. Uh, Jet Airways, you know, if anything, the the, the- the, the more successful of the the two long haul airlines in India, the other one, of course, being Air India, which is perennially one of the biggest loss making airlines in the world. Uh, and so uh, Jet Airways, for the past couple of years now, a part of the Etihad family, w- which is somewhat of a double edged sword. Uh, you, know, you get some capital uh, which they badly needed, uh, but on the other hand, you know you sort of have end up with this dual role of, of partly having to funnel traffic into Abu Dhabi uh, to sort of help the broader goals of, of the Etihad group. Uh, and, and this is an airline that a lot of those airlines like rather a lot of those airlines in the, in the Etihad family, like Air Berlin, uh, you know, like Galitalia, uh like Virgin Australia sort of, you know, lags it, it it's, it's, um, it's peers uh, and, and certainly lags the successful low cost carrier Indigo, uh, you know, whose, whose IPO has just priced and, 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 and uh, you know, is clearly the shining star right now in terms of in terms of profitability in in the Indian market.
0: Moving on to greener pastures, uh, there were a few greener than Icelandair, who is the owner of the 30 percent profit margin I mentioned at the outset. Uh, but I found the bad news to be the most interesting part of their report. Icelandair, which you'd think of as being rather isolated and at a safe distance from, well, everything except the cold, is actually feeling competition. <laughs>
1: yeah, they are. Uh, you know, and one thing, of course, to note about them is, is that all European airlines are rather seasonal uh, in terms of their, their their results, in terms of their profits, more so than than airlines in in a lot of places. Uh, and and that's that's true of Iceland there as much as, as, as any other airline. Uh, Now they manage it very well by also having very seasonal schedules. Uh, So, you know, they run negative margins in the winter, but it just doesn't matter as much. doesn't weigh as much because they fly a lot less. Uh, But anyway, just to say that, you know, they're not going to put up a 30% uh, margin for the year, but yeah, very, very impressive. Um, But yeah, on the other hand, a lot of what they compete for uh, is this connecting traffic, uh, people who fly from various points in North America uh, spend a short time on the ground in Reykjavik and, and, and go on to Europe or vice versa. Uh, and now you do have uh, lots of other airlines competing in, in that same realm. Uh, you know, everyone from well, Airlink is now part of the IAG family, competes for a lot of the same kind of connecting traffic. Uh, Norwegian now flying nonstop in, in some of the kinds of markets where. Air competes for connecting traffic. Air Canada Rouge, I mean, just just all kinds of uh, players in that space right now. Uh, but you know they're holding their own rather well. The, the, the airport in Reykjavik is actually, if anything, becoming a bit a uh, bit crowded during those peak times of the day. They have these you know, these 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 hub banks there, uh, which you know that would have been hard to imagine a few years ago, but they've grown so rapidly. And to be clear, managed that growth very, very well. Uh, You know, a a rather impressive airline, you know, when you're talking about a country with just a few hundred thousand people and an airline that's that's managed to become, uh, you know, a
0: a rather important player in in a lot of
1: big markets. They really got to handstand what they've accomplished.
0: Yeah. If you call your country Iceland, it's going to be seasonal. (laughs) One U.S. carrier we didn't discuss last week was uh, Spirit Airlines, and its sensational 27% operating margin. And we essentially said in Airline Weekly this week, uh, their margin could have been better, but they have other ambitions. Can you explain that in a nutshell? Yeah, well, well, they're growing very quickly. Um,
1: and when you are growing very quickly, almost by definition, you're going to have a lot of immature markets uh, you know, and and uh, you know, I mean, look, yes, there are overnight successes when it comes to markets, but generally speaking, your more mature markets, those that you've been flying for, you know, for, for, for a year or more, are, are going to be doing better than your immature markets. And when you're growing as quickly as, as Spirit is, uh, you're just going to have more of those immature markets. So, uh, you know, for example, you know, we've seen JetBlue doing rather well. Um, you know, part of that is attributed to the fact that they have more mature markets than they used to have. Um, uh and, and so fewer markets that are, you know, what, what airlines like to call underdevelopment, uh, which can be kind of code for you know, not doing so well, uh, although they might do well later. Anyway, so Spirit just has more of those underdevelopment kind of markets. Uh look, there's tremendous unit cost benefit to to, to doing that. Um, you know, they, they are hammering down their unit cost all the time by growing, uh and they've absorbed it you know rather well I mean they their margins improved year-over-year year despite the, sort of the plummeting unit revenues but uh, they're gonna slow it somewhat and, and, and let the let the demand catch up with the supply uh, which they have to do because at some point um, you know if fuel prices have indeed plateaued if they're not going to stop falling obviously at some point if if uh, if yields and unit yield revenues continues declining, uh, it would be impossible to keep up the kinds of, of profit margins that airlines have been putting up. Uh, although with Spirit too, uh, you know they're another one that like we talked about this a little bit last week. Uh, like Allegiant, uh, you know, look they're trying to optimize for uh, for making as much money as possible. And 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 you know they said, look, yes, uh, when you're growing this fast, you will be adding some markets that will have. Below average margins for the system, but when those below average margins are still rather high, uh, that can be tolerable. And and uh, you know, uh, there's some nervous investors who, who who you could tell when you look at the the share price are, are just sort of waiting to see confirmation of that that they're going to be able to sort of let this let the demand catch up
0: with supply. But you know, we are still talking about one of the world's most profitable airlines. And with that, we've been around the planet in 24 minutes. Seth, I thank you for making the trip with me. Anytime. That's our show for today. As always, you can subscribe to The Lounge on iTunes or Stitcher or at the Airline Weekly website and tell your friends and colleagues about us. Thanks for stopping by the Airline Weekly Lounge. Do You think I was too hard on Iceland? <laughs> <laughs> nah, I think I used to it. They got a 30% margin. They're fine. <laughs>